0: or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclive.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus as your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Well, welcome to Emmanuel, thank you for tuning in, whether you're tuning in locally or across the country or even across the world, we wanna welcome you. My name is Pastor Danny and we are starting a brand new series today called Disrupted. And I believe that that word is the word that describes our lives right now and what's going on in our country and all over the world. What does the word disrupt mean? Here's a definition for us to start with. The word disrupt means to destroy the normal continuance of something. And that is what has happened in our life. The routines, the patterns, and rhythms of our lives have been completely disrupted because of what's going on in our world with the coronavirus. We've got kids staying home from school. We've got people staying home from work, working at home. We have moms and dads trying to educate their children and do their jobs at the same time. International travel has been suspended. Our world, as we knew it, has been flipped upside down. And it is so hard to know what to do when disruption hits our lives. Here's what I know to be true. About life, There is a 100% chance that your life will be disrupted. Without a doubt, it's going to happen. It has happened. It's going to happen again in our life. And when our lives are disrupted, especially right now with what's going on with this virus all across the country and all across the world, it's really hard to know how to respond. When our lives are disrupted and we're, our patterns and rhythms are thrown off, we become disillusioned, we get, we get disoriented, sometimes we get angry, we can become frustrated, anxiety and fear can overwhelm our lives. And it's really tough to know how to navigate those waters. And so for the next couple of weeks, what I would like to do in this series is just talk about how do we, how do we overcome this disruption? How do we live well? How do we, instead of just trying to survive this disruption, how do we actually thrive? That's the question I wanna answer in this series what do we do when our lives are suddenly disrupted? You know, there's a story in the Bible about a man, his name is Joseph. And uh, it's, it's an incredible story of someone's life that was completely flipped, up, flipped upside down. I'll give you the quick version of it. Joseph was 17 years old when, when things hit the fan for him. He was a, the one of 12 brothers. He, their father was a man named Jacob, who was a very powerful man. He was a patriarch in the book of Genesis. And one day at 17 years old, Joseph has these two really strange dreams about his family bowing down to him. And uh, he, he decides one day that it's a good idea to tell his brothers these dreams. And what's interesting about this situation is that Joseph was already the favored son. His father loved him more than his other brothers, even made him a special coat to show that he was favored. So when he tells his brothers about these two really strange dreams, it actually makes them even more angry, even more envious. So much so that one day, one day they decide that they are going to kill their brother. Now, if it weren't for two of his brothers, Reuben and, and Judah, he would have certainly died. But Judah decides to spare his life. And instead of, instead of killing their brother, they decide to sell him to a group of traders that are passing by. These traders take Joseph all the way into Egypt. And they resell him to a man named Potiphar, who happens to be the second in command, or he happens to be the the in charge of Pharaoh's security. And so talk about having your life totally disrupted. This kid goes from, from being the beloved son of a powerful man to a slave. His surroundings are different. His clothes are different, suddenly different. His food is suddenly different. The culture is different. Everything around him is is different. The language is different. His life has been completely flipped upside down. Can you relate right now? Certainly our lives are not as interrupted or not as disrupted as Joseph's was, but it sure feels that way. You know, again, we, we, we can't even go out to a restaurant to eat. You know, we can only travel uh, for essential errands in our lives. We're trying to work from home. We're trying to learn this, this whole e-learning thing. I mean, for heaven's sake, right now, there's an empty auditorium behind me. Usually this place is filled. Things are really disrupted right now. Some of you, some of you know someone who's sick. Some of you even have a family member, perhaps, that is sick maybe even in the hospital. I have two family members that have tested positive for COVID-19, and it is just so hard to to get your brain wrapped. What does that mean? Are they going to be okay? And there's all kinds of of fear and, 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 and thoughts about the future and worry about the future. What do you do when your life is suddenly flipped upside down? That's why I love the story of Joseph, Because it's a story of someone whose life was totally disrupted, but he didn't just grind through and survive. This is a story of a kid who thrived through the disruption. It's a really long story in the book of Genesis. And I don't have time to tell all the details today, but let me give you a a hint of how the story ends. Joseph ends up being number two in Egypt. He ends up being number two only only to king pharaoh himself he's the leader of egypt he goes from slave to the leader of a nation here's the question how did he do it what did he do here's what i believe success always leaves clues what if we can look into the story of Joseph into the Bible and discover what he actually did to make it through this incredible disruption and then we followed his example. Maybe we could learn how to thrive instead of just survive through the, this current disruption that we are facing. So how did he do it? What did he do? And his whole life is flipped upside down. Well, if you go with me to the book of Genesis chapter 39, what we're going to see is that Joseph chose to see God in the disruption. He chose to see God in the disruption. Genesis chapter 39 verse 2 says this, the Lord was with Joseph and so he succeeded in everything that he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Here's the part I want you to focus on. The Lord was with Joseph. What does that mean? The Lord was with Joseph. Does that mean that he had a a halo over his head, a special glow on his body? Maybe there was a hologram of, of Jesus next to him. What does that mean when the Bible says that the Lord was with Joseph? Well, here's what I think it means. I think it means that Joseph, regardless of the situation, regardless of the fact that his, his brothers had betrayed him and, and everything in his life was, was flipped upside down, he was in a, a new region with a new language, with new faces and new food and new clothing, a new identity, regardless of all of the disruption, Joseph chose to say, God, I'm going to invite you into this situation. I'm going to invite you into this disruption. I'm going to choose to see that you are at work in this disruption, that you have a plan and that you are, you are sovereign and that you are in control. And I'm going to choose to trust you in the midst of this disruption. That's what it means when the Bible says the Lord was with Joseph. What, look at the results of this decision Joseph makes. It says that Potiphar, his new master, noticed and he realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased his new master, so he soon made Joseph his personal assistant. He put Joseph in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household, watch this, and his property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. And all of his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. Listen, it continues. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except for what kind of food to eat. Can you imagine? Here's this, the head of security for king of Pharaoh. And he gives all of this responsibility to Joseph. The oversight of his entire household and all of his crops and all of his livestock and all of the servants in his house. And he says, you know what? You are doing so well. And you are taking so much initiative. And you follow through so well that I'm going to give you more and more responsibility. Joseph was able to thrive instead of just survive in the midst of this disruption. How did he do it, how did he do it? Listen, he chose to see God in the midst of the disruption. And you know what, things go pretty well for him for quite some time. He manages to to get to a, a new normal. Things are running smoothly for him. He establishes credibility. People are listening to him. His master doesn't even have to worry about anything. And then, as the story unfolds, we find out things hit the fan again. Guess what? Another disruption hits. In your notes, I wrote it like this. There is a 100% chance, listen to me, there is a 100% chance that your life will be disrupted again. And isn't that how life works? We go through a disruption, a valley, some sort of difficulty. We, we manage to get back to some sort of normal life and routines and patterns, and all of a sudden, wham, life hits again. Maybe, a, maybe it's a divorce. Maybe your husband leaves you. Maybe your dad leaves your mom. Maybe it's a car accident. Maybe it's a cancer diagnosis. It's like, man, things were going so well, and then bam, another disruption. It's because it's true. There's a 100% chance that my life and your life will be disrupted again. You remember after 9-11? Those of you who are alive and lived through that, man, talk about disruption. Our whole lives were disruption. People, people wouldn't get on planes, they couldn't fly, there was fear. But over time, we kinda got back to a normal. We went back to our patterns and we started to feel safe again. And then whap, bam, again, there's another, another disruption that's affecting the whole country and the whole world. It worked the same way for Joseph. Things are cool, things are good, they're working out. I mean, it's not like, you know, it was back home with his dad and his mom and his brothers and his friends and his own bed and his favorite food. It wasn't that, you know, but it, but it was something normal. And then all of a sudden something happens. Look with me in verse 6, Genesis 39. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. And Potiphar's wife, his master's wife, began to look at him lustfully. Some of you think that the Bible is boring. It is not boring. And this is the evidence right here. Listen to what Potiphar's wife says. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. Listen, this is a woman that is not used to be told, being told no. She is a powerful woman. She has influence. She comes after him and she says, Joseph, I want to sleep with you. And Joseph says, "No, I can't do that. Are you crazy? My my master, you know, he he put me in charge of everything. I can't throw this away. I can't mess this up. I can't even sin against God. God would see. But she was persistent. And it, it says that she came after him every single day, wanting to sleep with him, wanting to sleep with him. And every day he would resist and he would go the other way until one day, One day she comes after him and she literally grabs a hold of him and says, come and sleep with me now. And he just decides to bolt. He runs, which is a good strategy when you're facing sexual temptation. He gets out of there. She grabs a hold of his jacket and and he runs so fast that all she has left in her hands is his jacket. She's so mad. She's so angry at this kid who will not come to bed with her. She makes up a fictitious story. She falsifies a story that this man, Joseph, came into her house, attacked her, and tried to rape her. And she calls her servants, and the servants come, and she tells them the story. And then when Potiphar, her husband, comes home, she tells him the story. And in Genesis chapter 39, verse 20, this is what we read. So Potiphar took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. Man, you talk about disruption. Things were going so well. And here we are again. Everything is stripped from him. All his authority, all of his influence, all of the trust that he built with Potiphar, it's all gone. Now he finds himself in a jail cell. New faces, new atmosphere, new surroundings, new clothing, new smells, a new bed. And his life is totally flipped upside down again. Isn't this how life works? If it's not one disruption, it's another disruption. How does he handle it? He handles it in the same way he handled the betrayal of his brothers. He chooses to see God in the midst of the disruption. Look with me. Genesis chapter 39 verse 21. But the Lord was, again, with Joseph. What does that mean? He chose to see God in it. He chose to say, God, this is not what I would have preferred. I would prefer to be home. I'd prefer to be, you know, in my own bed with mom and dad and But nevertheless, I see you in this. The Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Watch this. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge, just like Potiphar put him in charge of all the other prisoners and everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries in the same way that that Potiphar had no more worries. Why? Because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. How did this kid... Thrive instead of just survive in the midst of this situation. I'm telling you, he chose to see God in the midst of this disruption. He didn't cave in to discouragement. He didn't cave in to fear. He didn't cave it to why is this happening to me? And this is such a terrible situation. And it's cold. And I don't like these chains. And these chains on my wrists. And I don't like this. These clothing. And I don't like the food. He didn't focus on all the negatives. He focused on the fact that God was in the midst of his disruption, working out his plan, working out his will. And because of that, he was diligent. Because of that, he, took, he stepped into opportunities. He leveraged what was right in front of him and the warden put him in charge of everything in the prison. Now this story goes on for a long time. Many, many chapters in the book of Genesis and I don't have, a, I don't have the time here to get into it but I wanna challenge you to read the rest of the story. Let me try to sum up the rest of the story for you. Joseph is in jail. Suddenly, these two men enter into the jail. The cup, the cupbearer, the king's cupbearer, the guy who, who, gives, who drinks the wine before the king drinks it, just in case it's poison. You know, then he dies and the king doesn't die. Anyway, the cupbearer comes in and the chief baker comes in. Apparently, the king thinks they're up to something, maybe trying to kill him. So they get put in prison. And they're in prison. Joseph's in prison. He takes interest in them. The Lord has given Joseph favor in the prison. He's kind of in charge. He says to these guys, you know, how you doing? What's going on? They said, well, you know what? Here's the situation. Both of us had dreams the other night. And Joseph's like, well, you know what? I, I think I, I can interpret those dreams. Tell me the dream. Sure enough, Joseph is able to interpret both the baker's dream and the cupbearer's dream. Now the baker's dream, that, that wasn't such a good dream for him. And, if, and in the end, it came true and he, he lost his head. But the cupbearer's dream, man, his dream was, was about being restored back to his position and under, underneath Pharaoh. And sure enough, when they're released, both of the dreams come true. Joseph's request before the cupbearer left jail was the, it was one thing. He said, hey, before you leave, just don't forget me. Just, just I'm here. Just come out. Remember that I was kind to you. Remember that I interpreted your dream. And guess what? The cupbearer forgot Joseph in jail. He's restored to his position, but he forgets. And the Bible says that two full years went by. Two full years. 700 and some days go by. And the cupbearer forgot about Joseph. Have you ever felt that way? Forgotten? Maybe you feel that way right now in the midst of this quarantine this stay at home you know command that we've been given have you do you feel forgotten do you feel like your friends have forgotten you maybe a, a, a family members forgotten you maybe maybe you feel forgotten by a boss or an employer maybe you feel forgotten by god they f- the cupbearer forgot joseph there's some of you out there today you feel that way you feel, it's, you're so lonely right now you feel forgotten it, it happens that way. It feels that way sometimes. Something else that's interesting about this, this, this two-year hiatus in jail is, is that sometimes our disruption lasts a long time. Like right now, our world is flipped upside down and, and people are saying another 30 days and maybe another you know, 15 days after that. And it's like, we don't know how long it's gonna be this way. For Joseph, it was over 700 days, how many weeks is that? How many months is that? Just sitting in a jail cell, having to trust that somehow God was in the midst of this. Think of the faith. This kid, such a young kid. How does he have the faith to say, God, I don't, I don't know what's going on, and I, and I seem to be forgotten, but I, I still believe that you're in this. He made that choice, and that's how he didn't give in to discouragement or get depressed or start to miss the way things were, and oh man, I wish I could go back and go home, and that's not where his mind was. He continued to see God in the midst of his disruption. Sure enough, after two years, the king himself has two dreams, and he doesn't know what they mean. You know, they're about you know, different, I don't even have time to get into the different dreams, but he's confused. And when he tells the cupbearer that he has, he's had these two dreams and he's trying to get them interpreted, the cupbearer finally remembers. He says, oh my gosh, there's somebody in jail that can interpret dreams. So Pharaoh gets them out. And, and, and sure enough, Joseph is able to interpret his dreams that there's going to be seven years of plenteousness of abundance. And, and, then, there's going to, and then after those seven years, there's going to be seven years of famine. And then he tells Pharaoh what to do about the seven plenteous years or years of abundance and what to do about the seven years of famine. And Pharaoh's like, I don't think there's another, a smarter person in all the land of Egypt. And so he promotes him and says, you lead the charge. You take over for the next 14 years. And sure enough, Joseph does so. In the second seven years during the time of the famine, the famine gets so bad, not just throughout Egypt, but all the surrounding areas where his brothers lived and where his father's lived, where his father lived. One day their dad says, you know what, I've heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go to Egypt, we need some food, we're gonna die. His brothers take the trip to Egypt. When they get there, they have to talk to the leader, the one in charge, who was Joseph. And when they get there, all of his brothers bow down before him and the dreams that he had when he was 17 years old were fulfilled. In the end, when Joseph finally reveals, because he can't handle it, he finally reveals to, him, to them who he is. His brothers think that he's going to get revenge and he's going to be so angry and he's going to have them murdered. But listen to what Joseph said to them in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. He says, guys, bros, you intended to harm me. You did. You wanted me dead, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. Guys, you, guys, God was in this. I saw it the whole time. Your betrayal of me, selling me, when I was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, he was in it. Was it what I wanted? No, life happens. I mean, there's disruptions. It's not what I wanted. I wouldn't have preferred it that way. I wouldn't have wrote my own story. And maybe you feel that way today. This isn't what we wanted for, for our job, for our business, for our family, for our kids, for school. This is not the way we wanted it to go down. We didn't think 2020 would, we would be experiencing this kind of pain, but it's happening. We have a decision to make. Are we going to choose to see God in it? or Are we going to kind of block it out and say, you know what, I don't know where God is. Is he even paying attention? And that is the choice that we make. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says this. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose for them. Where did Paul get those words? He got it from Genesis fifty twenty, that God causes everything, both the good and the bad, to work together for the good of those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. It's a great story. I love the story of Joseph. The only problem with it is that when you read it, and even as I'm preaching it, I know that the, there's a tendency to hear this story or read this story and say, oh, great. You know, so basically what you're saying is, in the midst of my disruptions and problems and difficulties and sick family members and maybe even a death or the job loss or the cancer die, in the midst of all that, all I have to do is see God in it and, and everything will be fine? Is that what you're saying? It kind of sounds that way. It kind of sounds a little mystical, kind of like, oh, just trust in Jesus and your whole life will be okay. Let me, let me, let me push in a little bit on that because I'm, that's not what I'm saying. Remember what I said about Joseph. He made a choice to acknowledge God in the midst of the disruption. How does that actually work? I, I, that's, what, that's where my brain goes. Why? Why? Did it work for him? Why was he able to thrive by making that choice? I think there are two answers to that question. If you're taking notes, you're jotting this stuff down. Here's the first one. When you see God in the disruption, there is always hope. And hope is a powerful reality. Hope is this emotion or this this attribute I don't even really know what to call it I know it's real I know it's powerful that says you know what this is not the end like something good is going to come from this I know that 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 things are going to get better that is what hope it is is it's this expectation that wait a second all is not lost like like don't hang your head don't don't get depressed don't, don't hold on there's still hope here and why why is there hope because god is involved in this Like he is here and he's working out his plan and he loves you and he's a good God and he has plans for your life and you can trust him. And because God is in the midst of this disruption, you can have hope. You find this throughout the entire Bible. In the book of Psalms, we're constantly encouraged in the midst of disruption and difficulty to put our hope in God. Let me give you one example. Psalm 42 verse 5. Why are you cast down, oh my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Why are you so discouraged and depressed? Watch. What's the answer? Watch this. Hope in God. Put your hope in God for I shall again praise him because he is my salvation. Not going to heaven when you die, but he is my deliverer. That's what the word means. He will deliver me from this situation. Hope in God. Not too long ago, Pastor Levi Lusco wrote a book called Through the Eyes of a Lion. The subtitle is Facing Impossible Pain, Finding Incredible Power. He wrote the book after his five-year-old daughter passed away from an asthma attack. He talks about one of those sources of power and energy. He says it's hope, listen to what he says. Hope is a confident expectation, a joyful anticipation, an active, dynamic, energizing enthusiasm. When you have hope, gale force winds can blow and tsunami waves can smash against the hull of your life, but you are buoyed by the belief that the best is yet to come. Listen, that brighter days are ahead. Hope quietly tells your heart that all is not lost, even in the midst of raging storms. Power. power. Hope is powerful. It gives us the energy. It gives us the, the enthusiasm to move forward even in the midst of difficulty. And this is what Joseph had. When the Bible says the Lord was with Joseph, what does that mean? It means that he had hope. And because he had hope, he didn't think about, you know, missing his dad or missing his mom or missing his home or missing his bed or his, or the food that he loved or his favorite friends or whatever. He's like, you know what? I'm going to focus on what's right in front of me. This is not going to be the way it ends. And he had energy and he was focused. And so he was able to get busy. And guess what? Potiphar saw his activity. He saw him taking initiative. And he's like, man, this kid can get stuff done. Let me promote him. Let me promote him. Same thing in the, in, in the jail. Because he had hope, he got busy. He took advantage of response, of opportunities and he started to do things and he was blessed in everything that he did. He, he did administrative things. He organized things. He cleaned things and he was promoted for it. How could, how could he do that if he, was, if he was down or discouraged or constantly de, you know, depressed and thinking about the past and what he's lost? Nobody would have noticed anything about him. But because he had hope, he was able to thrive instead of just survive. What else does it mean to, have, to, have, to be able to see God in the midst of, of the disruption? How does that help us? Number two, when you see God in the disruption, you can focus. One of the hardest things to do when disruption hits your life is to focus. Focus on what needs to be done first, second, third because when our lives are disrupted, we're disoriented, we're flipped upside down, things are chaotic, we don't know what to do, we have emotions like fear, worry, anger, frustration. It is supremely hard to focus when our lives are disrupted and and we're trying to educate our children and and hold down a job at the same time and have our spouse work in the house at the same time or maybe you're one of those people that your job is deemed as essential and so now you're working double, triple the the time that you were and your whole life is just disrupted. Maybe you're a nurse, maybe you're a doctor, and, and you're working seven days a week. You won't hear this message for another two months, probably, because you don't have time to watch it. It is really hard to focus when your life is disrupted. But when we choose to see God in the disruption, here's what happens, and this is, this is so beautiful, I hope you can get this. We can breathe, we can relax. We can let things settle and we can begin to think clearly and see clearly about what needs to be done. The Bible tells us in Psalm 46, be still, sit down, (laughs) be still, and know that I am God. That's what Joseph did. Be still. God, you are sovereign. You have a plan. My brothers intended to harm me, but you are gonna do something good here, and I trust you. And so he was able to focus on what was right in front of him. In Potiphar's house, what needed to be taken care of. There were gardens. There was food to be cooked. There were other people to manage. He got busy. He focused on what needed to be done in Potiphar's house. Same thing in the jail. He was focused on what needed to be done. And the warden noticed that and like, man, this guy's good. He's not discouraged. He's not down. He's not disoriented. He's not crawled up in a ball in the corner. I can give responsibility to this guy. He was focused because he saw God in the midst of the disruption. John Cabot Smith is a professor of emeritus of medicine at the University of Massachusetts. He also created the, the Stress Reduction Clinic. And he said these powerful words, you can't stop the waves, but you can learn to surf. I sent that out this week as a tweet, and I just thought it was so incredibly true. Like, we can't stop the coronavirus. We can't, you know, we can slow it down, but, you know, it's going to continue to spread. I mean, we can't stop the waves from coming. I mean, we're not, we're not God. But we can certainly learn how to surf. And what I gave you today are two bits of insight, two bits of truth that will help you to surf. When I say learn to thrive instead of just survive, I mean surf on the wave. This disruption can, can bring some good in your life. If you choose to see God in it. And in the end, in the end, it is a choice. It's your choice. I will make a choice and you will make a choice. Am I going to believe that God created the world, spun it into existence and said, hey, peace, I'm out of here. You guys deal with it on your own. Some people believe that. And if that's your belief about God, that he's not involved, he's not concerned and he's not, you know, you know, caring for us, there is reason to fear. There is reason to be worried. There is reason to be concerned or frustrated or angry. But what if, he's, what if he's involved? What if he sees? What if he hears? What if he's answering prayers? What if he's working out a plan? What if, what if he's doing things in my life, doing things in your life? What if he's bringing good out of this like he did with Joseph? Well, then there's reason to hope and there's, re- and there's power to focus. That's my choice. That's, that's your choice. My question to you today is, what choice will you make? As your pastor, I'm 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 begging you. You know, based on the authority of this book, put your hope in God. Be still and know that he's in control. Like let his calming peace enter your soul. I'm 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 imploring you. I'm begging you, choose to see God in the midst of this disruption so that you can thrive and not just survive during this time. Now, if everyone was present here and all the seats were full and I were preaching to a a packed house, which I love and I can't wait to have you guys back. I would say, if you're ready to choose to see God in it, raise your hand. Just go ahead and raise your hand and and I can almost see everybody's hands raised. Some of you are actually raising your hand right now on your couch or wherever you're watching and and I I can feel it, but I I can't see you. So here's what I would love for you to do. If you wanna raise your hand and say, I'm in pastor, I'll trust, here's what I want you to do. I want you to text the word choose to 65248. Just grab your phone, just for fun, just to say, you know what? I heard the truth of God's word. I'm gonna respond. I'm gonna text the word choose to 65248. That will let us know that you heard the truth today, that God's word did its work in your heart and that you responded. We'd also love to connect with you this week, maybe send you an encouraging text message. Text the word choose. This is a digital hand raise. We just made that up right now. We just said, you know what? We're gonna raise our hand. I choose to see God in the midst of this disruption. You watch the hope rise up inside of you. You watch your ability to focus grow. You will thrive instead of just survive through this disruption. Now, before we close, let me talk to some of you here. It's so critical that you listen to what I have to say right now because the reason you're tuning in is because someone asked you to check it out. Hey, this might be encouraging to you. It might be something that you need. I'm telling you, pain and difficulty and disruption have a way of kind of, like opening up our heart. If our heart was like a a soil, it has a way, like pain has a way of tilling up that soil, the soil of our hearts and opening up our mind to spiritual realities, most importantly, God himself. During this time of disruption, maybe you've been thinking about having more of a relationship with God or starting a relationship with God or praying more or being open to spiritual things. If you've been sensing that, if you've been feeling that, that is not a coincidence. That is not a mistake. That is God working in the midst of the difficulty, drawing you in, pulling you into himself. He loves you. And sometimes God will allow pain and difficulty and disruption in our life to get our attention. Like when things are going well and they're going smoothly, oftentimes we just, we don't even pay attention to God. What would we need God for? But during times of pain and disruption and difficulty, sometimes we're like, okay, God, are you there? And if that's where you're at, he's there and he loves you. And he loves you so much that he actually sent his son, Jesus Christ to this earth to die on a cross to pay for your sin and my sin. The Bible says that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. It says that God demonstrated his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, have our backs turned on God, Christ died for us. Jesus said, there is no greater way to show your love than to lay down your life for your friends. And that's exactly what he did. He died in our place. He died in your place to have a relationship with you, to know you, to love you, to care for you, to be your heavenly father. Maybe today is the day where you put your trust in him. Maybe today you reach out to him in faith and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you came back to life three days later to be my savior. If you would like to take that step right now, I'm gonna say a simple prayer. There's nothing magical about this prayer. It's, It's the faith behind the words. Take these words. Add your faith to them and step into a relationship with Christ today. Would you pray with me if you feel led to? Just say this to him. Dear Jesus, I believe that you died in my place to pay for my sin, to cancel the debt, to forgive me, to wash me, to cleanse me, from my sin. And so I receive your grace today. I receive your love. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to to enter into my soul and to be my savior. I reach out to you today and I put my trust in you. I ask you to be my guide, my strength, my source of wisdom, my protection. I ask you to be my savior. And with what little faith I have, I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, if we were all here physically, we would be clapping for you. So I will clap for you right now. The Bible says that there is rejoicing in heaven over one person that puts their faith in Jesus Christ. Before you go, if you trusted Christ, our church would love to put a gift in your hands. It's a little box here. Inside this box is a Bible. There's some instructions in there on how to take your next step of faith. There's some instructions about baptism, how to join a small group. And there's a little cup in here, a coffee mug from us to you just as a celebration gift. If you take your phone right now and text the word SAVED to 65248, we will be able to get one of these boxes to you in the mail. So grab your phone right now. If you prayed that prayer, text the word "save" and we'll send one to you. Man, it's been a joy and a privilege to talk with you today. During these difficult times, it's an honor to be your pastor. I wanna go first, I've been putting my hope in God. I've been help allowing him to give me focus as I acknowledge him in the midst of all of this disruption. We're gonna make it through this. God has a plan, he will bring good from this. And we're gonna keep plunging ahead. And I hope that you'll take the journey with us. Let me pray for us and we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the story of Joseph. It gives us a perfect picture of how to thrive instead of just survive. Help us to see you in the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of the disruption, so that we can have hope, and so that we can focus. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. God bless you, see you next week. Okay. Invite a friend.